We are in our series of the Bible engagement. Uh, we are in, um, we started volume seven last week. Pastor Rob kicked off encountering Jesus. We're in December. You're wondering why we didn't do volume one, two, and then volume three. Well, volume seven in Bible engagement is Jesus. And why would we not talk about the birth of Jesus in December? Because we're all talking about Jesus and Christmas time. So we're talking about Bible engagement. We're going to go to volume seven today, and we're going to session three. And I am really thrilled to be able to announce our speaker this morning. Some of you have met him before. Um, Pastor Stan Williams is here with his lovely wife, Cheryl. Uh, Pastor Stan has been in ministry for about 320 years, if I remember correctly. Is that, oh no, wait, I'm sorry. 310 years. Um, I have known Pastor Stan for many years as I've been a part of our fellowship uh, in the Assemblies of God. I can tell you one thing, hands down. He is not just well-respected. He is, um, he is not just well-respected. Pastor Stan is appreciated, not because of just his gifts, but because of his heart for Christ and his heart to love people. And his authenticity is something that I have always appreciated. You know, I'm not sure how you all feel about that, but it's really good to know that when you listen to someone speak, that they are a man or they are a person. They're not above anyone else. And he speaks with an authority because of who Christ is, but he speaks with an integrity and an honesty uh, because what Jesus has done in him and through him. So um, I'm blessed to have him with us today as our speaker to continue with Bible engagement. Would you join me in giving a very warm welcome to Pastor Stan Williams? Good morning, and uh, thank you so much for that introduction. I didn't, I didn't give him those notes. It's like, you might want to know that. And uh, I was happy to hear that uh, you're having Christmas service on Christmas Day. And uh, if I visit, I'm coming in my PJs. I'm not going to comb my hair or even brush my teeth. And I might show up with a cup of coffee in my hands. And uh, I don't think my, my wife is right here, Cheryl. Stand up, Cheryl. I want everybody to see. Please, stand up. Yeah. We, were, we were recently married 55 years ago. And uh, your pastor said, I've been in the ministry 320. He corrected that to 310. Eve was in my congregation. And she always showed up with forbidden fruit in the sanctuary. And uh, <laughs> thank God. What a wonderful presence that we are experiencing together here as we worship the Lord. And uh, that song, I Speak Jesus, uh, became such an incredible encouragement to my wife and I. In uh, the past year, our son-in-law, Chad, was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, and he had a tumor the size of a grapefruit. And the analysis of that particular cancer, after the fact, showed that it was very aggressive cancer. And uh, I love Chad like he's, a, my, he's my son, son-in-law. And uh, during that time, all of us and many others were praying very hard, and uh, I would play that song in the morning frequently. My wife and I both drive school bus, 
And uh, I have hearing aids, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> what? Uh, it, and they're Bluetooth, and, and the song would play in my hearing aids. The kids couldn't hear it, but I could hear it. And they might have heard a few shouts in between. And uh, I speak Jesus. What a powerful message that was. And uh, thankfully, when they took the skin, no spread into the organs. When they moved, removed that tumor and his colon uh, and 32 lymph nodes, no spread in any of those lymph nodes. Isn't God good? He's so wonderful. I love him so much. I was talking to, we were talking to Pete and Betty before the service and uh, I said to Pete, isn't it something as you get older, you, you, you appreciate the presence of God in your life even more, and uh, you feel his faithfulness is so much more powerful in your life. And that's, you have that to look forward to if you're young. And besides that, you, you now you're experiencing that. And uh, there is no disappointment in Christ Thank you, Pastor Paul, for the opportunity to speak once again from your pulpit, and good to see you. And Leslie, starting last Sunday with Volume 7 of the Bible Engagement Project with Encountering Jesus Through His Birth, I appreciated the ministry of Pastor Rob and Christy. I listened to them online this week, and uh, I enjoyed what they shared with you. It ministered to my heart. I'm speaking this morning about Encountering Jesus Through His Word. And uh, that is a wonderful way and a wonderful resource that we have in our homes and carry in our hands and uh, hopefully are hiding it in our hearts. Your theme verse for volume seven is John fourteen six. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Obviously, there are not many roads that lead to heaven. There is only one road, and that is Jesus, and we have lifted him up here this morning. Coming to the Father through Jesus Christ is just the beginning of a spiritual life and journey, and uh, there's so much more beyond that point. And, uh, I mean, it wouldn't happen without that point of receiving Christ. I remember when I received Jesus Christ into my life. I was, I think, five years old. I was thinking about that this week. And uh, some would say, what do you know at five? Well, not very much. But I understood this. I needed Jesus. And in thinking about that, and I remember it honestly. I remember it like it happened this morning. I remember the man who prayed with me, Duncan Ferguson. And it had an impact on my life. And uh, it was the most remarkable experience. And what's amazing to me, or what's really powerful to me, is that the Holy Spirit knows how to communicate with a five-year-old. And uh, my mother lived to be 100. She was in a nursing home the last couple of years of her life. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit knew how to communicate with my mother, even when she reached the point where we were not very good at that anymore because she couldn't understand I would go in and find my mother praying, and uh, she had purpose in her life even at that point. So salvation is the beginning, and 
we learn so much more from the, the teaching of the Scripture. In, in the, the book of Matthew, we read about the, what Jesus taught personally to his disciples and to the crowds that gathered to hear him as well. It wasn't just the disciples. There were crowds. That, and I was thinking about that this week and the Beatitudes and how much that might have meant or might not have meant to the crowds. But they were there and they listened. The disciples, of course, could say amen because they were experiencing these Beatitudes. And there was a desire that was planted in the hearts of those crowds that were there as well. What is all of this and how can I have that experience in my life? And, and from that, I would just simply say this to you, that it's, it's important for us to understand and to invite non-followers into our gatherings I realize that primarily it, it is followers who come on Sunday morning, but, but when they hear the Word of God, and not only Sunday morning, but during the week from you and just watching you and observing your life. Matthew chapter 5 is a very important chapter to me, and I may share a little bit of that as we move on. And uh, verses 1 through 10 offers to us or gives to us what we refer to as the Beatitudes. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, I'm, I'm being like Jesus today, <laughs> sitting down. Of course, you're all sitting down too. His disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs. Present tense. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. These are called the Beatitudes, a Latin word that means blessedness, extreme blessedness, really. Happiness is an appropriate interpretation of the word blessed in this portion of Scripture. And uh, in every one of us, the entire world, in fact, is is wanting to be happy. We are, and they're looking for happiness in so many wrong locations, and they're frustrated because when they arrive there, it's empty. There's nothing there, nothing of any long uh, duration. It seems meaningless to them, and the book of Ecclesiastes addresses that in, in, in some ways. We celebrate the birth of Jesus this month, and his birth relates to blessed lives. I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that now at this end of the scale for me in my life, that I came to know Jesus as a boy, as a young boy, and I feel so grateful that because of Jesus Christ, my life has had purpose and meaning, and, and uh, that my whole family's been blessed by that, and my wife could share the same testimony having grown up in a pastor's home as well. So his birth relates to blessed or genuinely happy lives. And I want, I want to speak that to you today about 
what it means to be happy and what it takes to be happy and that there is no other way. You say, that sounds pretty all-inclusive. Well, I believe it is all-inclusive, and I believe it's the absolute truth. There is no other way to experience real happiness in your life. Happiness that lasts or serves you for a lifetime and, and prepares you for what comes next. Not happiness because of a new purchase or car or clothing or, or anything else for that matter. The Sermon on the Mount makes it clear that if you truly want to be happy, this is the way. This is the way. Followers who commit to the teaching of Christ are really the only ones who experience true happiness. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Followers of Christ. That alone should engender in my spirit, in my heart, a concern for non-followers that I come into contact with every day of my life. You know, I, want to, I don't want to tell them about a new car, about my ride in a Tesla last week, which just about scared the heart out of me. They're so fast. And I was driving. You say, well, you had control over that. I know, but I wasn't that scared. But uh, I want to tell them about what it is that has put real happiness in my life. I, I met a man named Peter Zimmerman in Sherbinka, Russia, many years ago, back in the 90s. He had nothing. He was a pastor of an underground church. Nothing materially. He had, I think, six or seven children lived in an apartment that we would think was large enough for two people. And yet Richard just smiled all the time, and he was happy. He was genuinely happy. And the Spirit of God made it clear to me one day as I was looking at him as we were leaving Russia. You're looking in the face of contentment, maybe, for the first time of your life. And his contentment brought real happiness to him. Followers that commit to the teaching of Christ are the only ones who experience true happiness. Jesus shared something very important in the 10th chapter of John, verse number 10. Identifies two influences, one omnipotent, one not, one omniscient, one not. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. He's talking about the devil there. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life or life more abundantly or life to the full, depending on what translation you happen to be reading. And as I was thinking about the attitude, the Beatitudes this week, and attitude is a part of that word, I thought this is a description of Christians. This is a description of Christians who will make an impact on our culture today, absolutely. And, and we must not shy back from that. And we must not embrace this feeling that many times we have or may even express. It just is hopeless. It's, things are so bad, I just want the Lord to come. Well, I would like that very much if he would come. But I remember another portion of Scripture that says, Occupy until he comes. So I'm concerned about occupying. I'm not that concerned about leaving, although I know that's going to happen one way or the other and uh, for every one of us here, but I am concerned about occupying, and I'm going to be 77 in January, and uh, I want to occupy as long as I can. I don't want to just be alive. I want to live, and I want to live for Him, and I want God to work in my life and to influence others through my life. My wife and I share that. The Beatitudes are not, not just describing certain exceptional Christians. Sometimes we may, 
feel like, well, that's them and they, they are exceptional. And, and uh, so that's probably not that relevant for me. No, no, the Beatitudes are describing Christians, not, and, and are there exceptional Christians? I don't know. I, I see this much difference between you and me. I really do. Every one of us stand before the Lord with great need in our life. Matthew 5, 1 to 10 is calling us to rise to the challenge of embracing this pattern for our life. We're all about patterns, and depending on what we're doing, we're looking for, you know, the secret of being a good leader, the secret of, of excelling in what we're doing, and I'm not opposed to that. But may we begin to think also a great deal about what is the pattern that Jesus outlined for us in the Word of God that describes a Christian, because that's who I am, that's who you are. If you know Jesus, you are a Christian, a follower of Christ. Not just modeling one or two of these qualities, but every one of them. And, and as I focused again on this very familiar text in the past couple of weeks, I thought, I need to focus on all of these. I don't want to just, I don't just want one or two active in my life. I, I want this to describe me as a follower of Jesus and this does not come naturally for Stan Williams or for any one of us, but the Holy Spirit helps us to look more carefully and to think more responsibly about how this can happen in our lives. Let's look more carefully at the Beatitudes. Say, there's a lot of them. How long are you going to take, preacher? Well, we're, going to, we're, not going, to, we're going to be careful about that. But yet, we need to understand Blessed are the poor in spirit. That word poor is not a word that we gravitate towards, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And, uh, and doesn't that go against the cultural norms of our day that, that we are to be self-reliant? You can do it. You put your mind to anything. You can do it. And I think having a positive attitude does have its merit but we are blessed if we are poor in spirit. And Christians embrace being poor in spirit. Our reliance is on God and not on ourselves. I can tell you that if the only thing I relied upon was, was myself, even though I've been around over 300 years, uh, that I would not get much accomplished. Excuse me. I want to rely on God, and I need that more than ever in my life. You know, when Scripture describes the consequences of growing old, the description is not off the mark. It's pretty much on the mark. And so things begin to occur in your body physically. Weakness in my leg. If, if I lead with my right leg going up steps, my, my right leg might collapse under me. And I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just glad I got a right leg and that it's, it's working. To, and I'm glad the weakness started here and not here. No comment, please. Yeah. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And uh, when we think about that, we think right away of, well, the loss of a loved one. And, but it means far more than that. And we know what it is to be comforted in those circumstances and uh, my wife and I's second child only lived two days, and the Lord took him to heaven. And so we could both testify 
of the powerful comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit when we experience the loss of a loved one and a child. Parents, we all know what that's like. Thank God for the birth of a new baby, a grandchild. How precious is that? It's so wonderful. It's our hope in Christ that overwhelms the sorrow of loss, but there is another morning that I'm thinking about this morning as I talk about that, and that is, you know, when I read the Word of God and I see what I may become and I realize what I have allowed myself to become, there is a grieving process that turns me to God. And I say, you know, God, I'm, I'm grieving over this. I don't want this. I want to be more like Christ. And when I mourn over those things, it brings to me repentance. And when I do that, great comfort comes in. You say, you mean to change instantaneously? Well, if you want to know the answer to that, ask my wife. There's a lot of work yet to do and a lot more to learn. I have a lot to learn as a follower of Jesus Christ. But the comfort of the Holy Spirit within me, that you belong to, you belong to us, you belong to me. And I'm helping you in that area. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Humility. One translation says meekness. Blessed are the, the meek. And, and mistakenly, some people have said, well, but meekness is weakness. No, it's not weakness at all. It's closely akin to humility. And humility is not a byproduct of weakness, but rather a byproduct of strength and of courage you know, understanding who we are and our limitations and that we can trust in the Lord and not presenting ourselves to the world around us as someone who has all the answers and we're proud of it. But with humility, people, do we all know that people are drawn to an authentic humility that they see coming from someone? I know that I am. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Righteous before God is not by personal effort, but by receiving the gift of divine righteousness from our God. And, uh, and for me, hungering, thirsting for righteousness involves many areas of my spiritual need in life. And uh, I'm not always hungry. I'm not always thirsty. And I literally have at times says, Lord, Help me to be hungry. Help me to be thirsty for you. And the reason for that is the cares of this life seem to crowd that out to some extent. And uh, I want hunger in my life. Hungering for righteousness, thirsting for righteousness. Jesus said, you'll be filled. These These are characteristics. This is a description of a Christian. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As a dad of... We got to raise three of our children. We had four. One's been in heaven since two days old here and uh, never had to worry about Russell Stanton Williams Jr. And I know where he's at and uh, don't think he's a baby anymore. I think that when, he's, when he came before the Lord, he, he became like him. He's not a little baby anymore. When I see him someday, he's going to say, Dada. He's not going to say, Dada. You know, the Spirit of the Lord brings great uh, encouragement in all of that. Being merciful as a father was demonstrated at times when, as a disciplinarian, 
there were times where it was more important for me to show mercy to my child than to punish them severely. To take them in my arms and say, I love you, and I, I, what you've done is not right, it's wrong, but I love you, and I want to help you through this. And, uh, and how important was that? And how important is that for each and every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about excusing evil, but I'm talking about showing mercy. And I think Jesus showed mercy in many respects by simply loving people. He, he loved everybody. He died for the whole world. And loving people, not excusing them, not even agreeing with them, but genuinely loving them, that, that to me is an indication of mercy. The parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18 shows the consequences of not being merciful. You remember the story of the man come in and he owed uh, a small amount of money and he cried out, for, he owed a lot of money and he cried out to the, to the judge, have mercy on me, and the judge had mercy on him. And he went out of there and he came in contact with another man that owed him a little bit, and he had him put in jail. And the judge heard about it and brought him back and, and said, you'll pay back everything you owe me, and, and he put him in jail. If we don't, if we don't show mercy, we'll be, will we receive mercy? Just a question worth thinking about. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I know we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. Sanctification and, and uh, alteration and purity is established in our hearts and lives as we move on in Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 20, through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he goes on to describe how Christ loves the church that he might sanctify her, having her cleansed by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Think of the this, this statement there, washing of water by the word of God, which is a vital part of the process of sanctification in the life of every follower. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, peacemakers. Not saying peacekeepers, which may involve compromise, but introducing others to the Prince of Peace is the most effective way for us to make peace. Others need to know Jesus. We sang about him this morning, about the Prince of Peace, a peace that passes understanding. Remember the portion of Scripture in, in Philippians, be anxious about nothing but everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How many times that's been expressed by me to me from individuals that I've had the opportunity to minister to and to encourage, and in the process they encourage me. To hear them say in the midst of dying, I just want to go home. I have such peace. I have such peace. Peacemakers introduce people to Christ. That's the only effective way that I know is to really make real peace in people's lives. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs.
in the book of Acts, there's one comment that's made by apostles that they were rejoicing after being persecuted because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. It's hard to talk about suffering much in this culture. Born in America, lived in America all my life. Early came to Christ. The most severe persecution I think I've ever experienced is someone just turning away from me or not wanting to be my friend. Really, that's not much when you get right down to it. There's a contrast between Christians and non-Christians. And it is an important contrast. It is identifiable. And non-followers should be identifying that contrast. And many times I know they'll say, well, Christians are just so judgmental. A lot of young people today are turning away from the church because of negative experiences they've had in their lifetime. And that's not the only reason. I realize there's a temptation involved there. They just want to be in control as well, as long with anybody uh, that has flesh and blood. But there is a contrast between followers and non-followers. Right after this portion of the Beatitudes, it starts in verse 13, I think, to verse 16. There is the portion of Scripture that talks about influence and that we are the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. In verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. They'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we take to extremes. My relationship with the God is a personal thing for me. And I just keep that to myself. It's nobody else's business. I'm just being humble and maybe uh, considerate of others by doing that. But listen to that 16th verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's intentional. And it's irresistible. Salt and light is irresistible. Salt makes food irresistible to me. Some may be thinking, maybe you need to eliminate salt then, Pastor. Um, when I go in a dark room at night and I turn a light on, the influence of that one light bulb is irresistible to me. Because before I couldn't see my hand in front of me, now I can see everything that's in that room. So salt and light are irresistible influences. The work of the Holy Spirit within us is a powerful, powerful part of knowing Christ. And it's, it's, it's manifested in more ways than just one or two. It's not always audible. Uh, it's, it's not always even connected with one of the nine gifts associated or mentioned to us in 1 Corinthians. The work of the Holy Spirit is doing a work within us, and you'll see it there. John 14, verse 15 is, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus talking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. And as we study the Scripture, we understand that when a person receives Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into them. He doesn't throw an arm and a leg in. He comes in 
all of the Holy Spirit comes in. I've, I've come to believe that either I have all of the Holy Spirit or I have none of Him. I believe that. Say, what about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I believe there is a clothing of the Holy Spirit that involves an anointing for service. I believe that with all of my heart. But He is within you. And He's there to reveal the truth to you. That's what Jesus said. He is the Spirit of truth. He's within you. He's going to reveal that truth in John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all of the truth. As a student, I was lacking in my early years. In public education, I was satisfied with C's. When I think back on the teachers I have, I can think of a number of them that were very good teachers. I can think of some that couldn't teach me anything. Maybe it was me. I'm not sure. But one thing I have experienced by the Holy Spirit who lives within me, he is, he is the most skillful. He is the most insightful. He understands Stan Williams. He understands that I probably have ADD and any little sound outside the window distracts me or in another area of the house. I'm distracted by that. Literally, I am. And he understands that. But he has taught me skillfully what the truth of God is all about. He's teaching me as I was studying the Beatitudes. He's teaching you this morning. Not me, but the Spirit of God is teaching you. This is a description of what a Christian looks like. And he's making that clear. And he wants to impact your life with that truth. He wants us to be like that. He wants us to live that way. Poor in spirit. Those who mourn. Humble. Hungering for righteousness. Merciful. Pure in heart. Peacemakers. He wants all of that in each and every one of us. He wants us to rely on Him. To rely on Him. To trust Him. I heard somebody say this week that 365 times, I didn't check this out, but I'm hoping that they were, weren't embellishing anything. And that is, we're told not to be afraid. Do not be fearful in the Scripture. Maybe you can check that out this week, Pastor. And if I'm wrong, I'd, I'd rather not know. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, no. We are to be depending on him. Replace self-reliance with trust in Jesus. Share your blessed happy life with non-followers. Let them experience that mercy coming from you. And embrace the joy of a blessed life. Don't allow your happiness to be so impacted by what's on the news today. If that's the case, maybe you shouldn't watch the news so much. We are to live with joy and happiness, not just in the month of December, but every month of the year. Early in the service, I was struck by the fact that there was a focus on depression and anxiety. Sometimes of life, that comes easier I, I speak from personal experience. In the last week and a half, I've had so much anxiety in my life that was unnecessary. During that portion of the service, the Spirit of God ministered to me. What are you going to do, Stan? I speak Jesus. I speak Jesus to my anxiety. I speak Jesus. And he takes that anxiety away. Would you please stand with me?
If you have anxiety in your life, I would like to, because there's a prayer team that will come, and they'll come now. If you're dealing with anxiety or depression, would you please come and receive ministry this morning from the prayer team? They want to pray for you as we have a little bit of music in the background. Would you do that right now? Just come without further encouragement. You need, we respond to these opportunities that the Spirit of God puts in front of us. And then we experience the healing and the deliverance that He provides for us. If you need prayer this morning, it doesn't have to be depression or anxiety. It could be for a number of reasons. Would you please just come right now and receive that ministry? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Father, minister to us this morning. Those who are dealing with anxiety and depression, minister to them, Lord, and may thank you that we can leave this gathering today different than we came in. That we can learn something from these experiences that we don't need to live that way. We don't need to live with anxiety. We don't need to live with depression. We can put our confidence in Jesus Christ. That the Spirit of God is working in our hearts here this morning. Thank you so much for responding. The Lord is ministering to you this morning. How important is that? It's so very important. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Join with the prayer team where you're standing and lifting these needs before God. Thank you, Lord, for those who have responded. Thank you, Lord, for your response to them. Thank you for bringing healing and relief. We give you the praise for that. We give you all the glory for that. Bless your holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In your seats, if you can just begin to praise the Lord and worship him. Just do that right now. Just lift up your praise, your adoration to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're so worthy. <clears throat> Thank you for the reality that we experience in you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We speak Jesus over our families. And I burn like a fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be your holy name. I love you, Lord. I praise you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. 